Good morning. God is on mission in the world. The God who created the world, the God who chose us in Christ even before the foundation of the world, sees the world and his heart longs to see his creation flourish. It is his nature to do so. This is who he is. God, the missionary God, sends his son in the form of man to dwell with us by becoming one of us. This is the miracle story par excellence in the Bible, the miracle of the incarnation, the inbreaking of God's reign on earth. No one expected it. No one anticipated it. That God, that God himself would take on flesh to become like one of us. What a pivotal moment in the biblical story. God is the one who enters our stories and invites us to enter into the pages of his great story. It's an invitation for us to join with him, to hang out with him, to be where he is and notice the things that he notices, to be fully present and ready with hands open wide to be the church, the body of Christ on mission with him. The church on mission with God learns to ask questions like, what is God up to? How is he inviting me to join in his mission in this world? Questions about who to support, how much to give, where to go on missions, while important and necessary, should not take center stage, nor be our starting place. More often than not, the emphasis on missions, in my personal experience, has focused more on fundraising goals, on procuring prayer partners, has prioritized programmatic deliverables, oh, those long months of skip preparation, body worship, and craft preparation, or more often than not has highlighted a what-we-can-do-for-them mentality. How we might save their souls mentality. All of these things done, albeit with good intentions, put so much on our plates in regards to doing, preparing, and executing that there is a danger of forgetting that it is God who is the one on mission. Our job, I believe, is to come, to notice, to observe, to join in on the work that God has already started and continues to do. Our job is to learn how to follow Jesus, how to follow Jesus into a life of mission with him, not just an activity, not just a trip or fundraising goals or something done occasionally, but to join in a life of mission with him. The late missiologist David Bosch reminds us that the term mission 
wasn't even used to describe the activity of the church until the 16th century when Jesuit priests were sent out to convert Protestants back to Catholicism. Prior to that, the term mission was used exclusively for the mission, uh, the work and the mission of the triune God. God is the one on mission. Even the Great Commission, as we know it today from Matthew 28, received little attention as such until within the last 100 years. My hope this morning is for us to see that God is already at work in our midst. Missions did not begin with the Apostle Paul. It did not begin with the Great Commission. It's not an activity. It's not an extra line item in the budget, quoting Chuck from last week. More often than not, missions has to do with the most ordinary of places and happenings, like eating in the school cafeteria, riding the school bus, attending to one's studies in the classroom, taking time to chat with coworkers in the company break room, greeting others and conversing in the marketplace, walking the dog, and neighboring in the cul-de-sac. These are often the overlooked places of mission because they seem so ordinary. But these ordinary places are where God inevitably shows up if we come with open hearts and hands and feet to see and experience God's reality, the way things truly are and the way life is truly meant to be lived out. Now, the gospel writer Mark gives us a window into what this might look like from our text this morning. So let me read for us from Mark chapter 6, starting with verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him, all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. 
taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. This is the word of the Lord. In our text, we notice Jesus and his crew of disciples. They're tired. They're weary. So he instructs his disciples in verse 31 by saying, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Now, they had just returned, having been sent out by their rabbi two by two to preach, drive out demons, and to heal the sick, verses 12 and 13. The gospel writer Mark even made it a point to say that they went out on their journey with no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, except the sandals on their feet and the tunics on their back and a staff. Now, having returned from this journey, exhausted and tired, Jesus invites them to rest with him. Now, the disciples needed this one. It's a chance for them to catch their breath, a much-needed R&R. But no sooner than having landed on the beachside, Jesus and his disciples realize that they've been followed. And not only followed, a crowd has gone ahead of them and are waiting for them on the shore. Surprise! Jesus looks at his disciples. Then he looks at the crowd. And the text says that Jesus has compassion on them, the crowd. Like the compassion of the father for the prodigal son, or the shepherd going after the lost sheep, or the Gentile who has compassion on the man left for half dead. Jesus shows compassion and chooses the crowd. So he turns away from his disciples and begins teaching the crowd. If only we could have seen the look on the disciples' faces. But like most good disciples, they follow their teacher and do as he says. I can imagine Jesus turning to the crowd and going through the Old Testament and teaching about how God had met Abraham and how he called him to be a light and blessing to the nations. And how God carried the people of Israel through the desert places by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. And how he provided manna and quail to his wandering people for 40 years. Perhaps Jesus reminds the gathered listeners that God reigns over the whole earth and shines his face to all the nations. And those who know this chorus sing together. May the peoples praise you, God. May the peoples praise you. And Jesus' disciples, perhaps seeing their beachside campout slowly slipping away from their grasp, turn to their master 
and make one last-ditch effort. Jesus! It's very late, you know. Please send them away so they can go buy themselves something to eat. Verse 36. And Jesus responds, might I add, very matter-of-factly to his tired disciples who are withering away by now. You give them something to eat. What? (laughs) Say what? I can imagine the disciples saying, okay, look here, Jesus. You just sent us away on this long journey. You sent us away with no food, uh, no bread, no bag, no money, and now you want us to give them food? The disciples express protest. They are not in sync with Jesus. They have not joined in yet on what Jesus is on about. Verse 37, they said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Now, I think there's a lot of modern-day scholars and even churchgoers who refer to this account as the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. And I argue that rather than being a miraculous story or a story of a miracle, it's a profoundly human story. It's a story about protest, hunger, food, being tired and weary. It shows us something more about our humanity, our needs, our longings, and it also sheds light on who we truly are and who we are truly meant to become and something about the character and nature of God and who he really is. When we hear this story, I'm sure that for some, our rational scientific minds begin to question the authenticity of this story. Like, how is this possible? This makes no sense. Were the numbers fudged or exaggerated and somehow two, maybe even three zeros got added on to the account? But when we hear this story, it is not a call for an explanation. Much like how we can't explain the incarnation or the instantaneous healing of the sick. Rationality is not the requisite for understanding this story. When we try to explain away something that does not warrant an explanation, we find ourselves a bit out of the loop, kind of like the disciples in verse 52. For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. An event like this is not understood by way of explanation, but rather by way of response. Jesus tells his disciples, you give them something to eat. Go and see. 
This story shows the power of God in Christ and cause us to act and to respond. And so the disciples oblige and go and discover five loaves and two fish. Then Jesus organizes them in groups on the green grass. I love that imagery, green grass. Perhaps it's a hark back to how God is our shepherd who makes us lie down in green pastures. And Jesus here is portrayed as a host of a meal, a great meal. Mark's account tells us that Jesus in verse 41, taking the five loaves and two fish, looking up to heaven, gives thanks. And he broke the loaves. And people begin to eat. Not by themselves, but together in groups. I can imagine that it might be awkward at first, sitting with folks they might not know as well. But as conversations start springing up, amongst friends and strangers alike, as they feast and enjoy and begin celebrating, I'm sure that perhaps some people are laughing together, maybe crying together, sharing stories of their family members, sharing stories of their childhood in Bethlehem, stories remembering those who have passed on. I can imagine the disciples going around and serving those seated in these clusters and hearing the laughter of the people and seeing a Thanksgiving meal unfolding right before their eyes. Perhaps the true miracle behind this profoundly human story is this, that those present begin to open themselves up to each other, that strangers are no longer strangers, that those who are isolated and withdrawn are being welcomed in and enter this communal meal and begin to experience true fellowship. The beauty behind this story is that each one shares with the other the little that he or she has. Oh, did your daughter get enough? Here, have some of my bread and fish. Wait, what, what happened? You ran out? Here, I got some more. Can you please pass this down? Or perhaps, as the five loaves and two fish go around, others begin to share anything and everything that they have as well. Perhaps the miracle that took place, which we are not told about, involves the walls of people's hearts being broken down. Oh, wait. That is why Jesus came, is it not? That is his ministry and mission, is it not? To break down dividing walls, to move people from hostility to hospitality, to draw people to himself and to others, to tear down the curtain that separated us from the Holy One. David Bosch, in his magnus opus, Transforming Missions, says this, 
His mission is one of dissolving alienation and breaking down walls of hostility, of crossing boundaries between individuals and groups. Perhaps the walls of people's hearts begin moving away from a place of hostility to one of hospitality. As the great host teaches the crowd in action what it means to freely give as they freely receive. And in the end of this account, Mark tells us that they were all satisfied. They experienced a small foretaste of the messianic banqueting table that awaits us, the table of abundance and fruitfulness with more than enough leftovers to go around. Now, this would be the perfect story to share during Miracles Emphasis Month. But alas, there is no such thing. In fact, this is a story of missions. Jesus on mission. Jesus met with people, rehearsed the stories of the Old Testament, shared lives with the broken and lost, encountered joys and tears, and ate and dined with them, even the worst of sinners. All of this to show us what it means to be truly human. This was his ministry. This was and is his mission. So how can we support his mission on this second Sunday of Missions Emphasis Month, where our goal is to highlight prayer, finances, and presence. Here are some exhortations to consider. In the Bible, shared meals take place all the time. It's a central part of Jesus' ministry and in the overall biblical narrative. But it is also a contemporary practice held in today's society, whether you are a believer or not. It is part of God's design that you and I and everyone else in this county and in this state and around the world eat three times a day. Unless you're doing the uh, intermittent, intermittent fasting thing that's been a trend these days. It is part of God's design to hunger, and I would say theologically, to hunger for him. Is this not a missional opportunity? Is there not room to invite others in the work of Jesus to be present with those who have yet to know him? No need to script anything. No need to prepare some message. Just come, taste, see, and share. And I would say more and more, as I get older, and I'm not that old, to be, <laughs> to be honest, but more and more I get convinced that the mealtime becomes the central place of gospel life and sharing in Christian homes where their children have yet to declare Jesus as Lord and Savior. Host meals. Be gracious. Practice hospitality. Be gracious with your time. Look at others in the face when speaking to them at meals. 
put phones and electronics away when in the company of others because these are precious times when Jesus shows up in the company of the gathered that we so often let slip away. But be willing to sit in the company of others who are not like you. Be mindful whether you readily surround yourself solely with others whom you can easily relate to because of similarities. Be fully present with others from all walks of life, learning to see God's image in others and be expectant that the Lord Jesus shows up in our midst. Learn to hang out with Jesus. Give abundantly and generously knowing that you are satisfied in Christ. It starts with bringing what we have. God provides for you a hundred times over and can enlarge what he has given us a thousand times over. So hold things loosely, like possessions and money. Give generously. Remember God's instructions to his people not to hoard the manna in the desert, but to keep what is needed for that day. Not based on our desires, but based on our needs. Don't accumulate, but bless others with our resources. Give generously to the work of the church, to missions, to those being highlighted this month and to the call of vocational ministry and mission. But be wise with how you give financially. Don't just give hastily, but let your giving be an overflow of your having joined in missions with him. Learn to ask the questions like, where is God in my midst? What is he up to? How can I join in on the work that he is already doing? Oh, let's think about here. Let me close by sharing three personal illustrations. These are three personal illustrations in terms of ministries, missions organizations that I've participated in over, my, um, over the years. Here's the first. A group of Christians drive into a location in a church van. They set up shop, get their stuff ready, and begin to pass out sandwiches. When done, they close up shop and drive away. They drive away from this part of town. They go to a place more comfortable, sit down at a restaurant, and eat and talk about how missional they were. Here's illustration number two. There's a missions group where evangelism is a requisite. The homeless are gathered and are made to sit through a sermon before being served a hot dog meal. Now, might missions have looked differently if evangelism wasn't a mandatory component of getting fed? I know that in the education sector, many educators and parents now realize that hungry students can't learn because a basic need isn't met. We don't make it a requisite for students to demonstrate learning before lunch is served, do we? 
And here is the last missions illustration. There is a group of Christians who live in a part of town known not for its glamour, wealth, and security. They cook and serve soup and bread. They do have to eat, after all. They open their doors and people begin to trickle in. The homeless, drug addicts, students, the privileged, black, natives, whites, believers, non-believers. Some grab a kitchen knife and start chopping vegetables. Others start setting the table. Salt is sprinkled, pepper is ground, and the stock simmers away. People are checking in on how the other's week was, not because it's the polite thing to do, but because this is a moment in which Jesus is present. People sit together at one long table and share in this meal together. Those who are serving and those who are being served. And from a distance, it's hard to tell which is which. They're all laughing together, the gathered people. And in their midst, dwelling with them, sits Jesus, reminding them and affirming to them that this is missions, to be and to inhabit the places to which Jesus causes and is found. They are on mission with him. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much that you invite us, your people, to join in your work in places far away and places nearby, even in our very own homes. Lord, give us courage and grace and the freedom to follow you into the work and life of mission that you call us to. Lord, help us to be attentive. Help us to receive the surprises of your grace and help us to eat with joy and with a call that only comes from you. We love you in Jesus' name.